Hey, this is Pastor Allen. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church of Naples, and we are so happy that you have chosen to join us as we go through God's Word together. God's doing some amazing things here, and we pray that God's Word will transform you from the inside out. Our mission here is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ of all peoples. And our hope is, is that you are being a disciple that makes disciples. Now, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us either in person or continuing online as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is, is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word or you have it on your phone, uh, turn to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. And I just, I love God's Word. And I'm praying like, th that God will do something amazing in your life today, that you will not leave here the same way that you came here. Psalm 51. Let's stand as we read God's Word. Psalm 51 will begin in verse number one. This is a Psalm of David. David says to God, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice where I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. You may be seated. I got a big question for you this morning. Did anyone win the Powerball this week? <laughs> Any of you? It was one, over $1 billion. If you did, uh, come see me after church. Uh, I have some tithing envelopes for you. Uh, you know, we would love to talk. Probably nobody won it because what we have found out is that the winner of the Powerball, which is the sixth largest in U.S. history, was sold at, at a, a, a gas station in Los Angeles, California. So it's very doubtful that some of you uh, went there, got a ticket, and then came here. But here's the bigger thing. Somebody has won this ticket, but we don't know who. They haven't shared who they are. They've not come forward. And according to uh, California lottery officials, uh, this person uh, or persons who won uh, this prize has to claim it uh, in the next year or they lose it. 
And so here, if you think about it, this is what this means. Somebody has a piece of paper that is worth over a billion dollars. And I was thinking, you know, every day that that prize goes unclaimed is one less day that person is enjoying the money and it's another day that they're living poor and broke. Now, listen, I'm not telling you this so that you go out and play the lottery. Matter of fact, I don't play the lottery. I think it's a poor tax and it's a waste of money. But I begin to think about this and I begin to think, you know, as amazing as it would be to have won the Powerball, won over a billion dollars, I begin to think, you know what? I begin to think about God's forgiveness. And you know that God's forgiveness is infinitely more valuable than winning the lottery. And yet I also begin to think about how many people are walking around broken in shame and in guilt because they have yet to claim the forgiveness and freedom that Jesus has purchased for them at the cross. And so today, I want to help you claim forgiveness and freedom that Jesus has purchased for you. And so Psalm 51 is a penitential psalm. It is a psalm of repentance. It's a prayer of David, or it's a prayer who, uh, uh, by a person who is deeply troubled and alarmed by their sins. Now, as I said, it's a psalm of David. And Psalm 51 was written during the darkest moments of David's life. It's when David had sexually abused a married woman, had her husband killed, murdered, and then lied to so many people, including the nation of Israel, to cover up his crimes and his sin. And so Psalm 51 is a case study for what it looks like to to truly repent of your sins and to be in a restored relationship with God. And, And you may be here this morning and you have not... Uh, had an affair with a married woman. You may not have murdered someone to cover it up. You may not have told lies to a nation, but every one of you in this room and everyone watching online is a sinner. And we all need something in our lives that we cannot do for ourselves. We need forgiveness. And so this Psalm and this story is hope for those who are broken. It is hope for those who are guilty. It is hope for those who need help. And so uh, this Psalm teaches us that God will meet us in our deepest failures and will transform us by his amazing grace. It is how sinners, broken sinners can be brutally honest with God and yet claim God's forgiveness because of God's grace. And so last week, if you were here, uh, we saw the reality of David's sin. And today we're gonna look at the repentant reality or an attitude of David's heart. And so in this Psalm, we will see that genuine repentance is a confession for cleansing and a desire to be different that leads to restoration with God. And so let's just unpack that. We have a lot to cover and let's keep going. So first, a confession for cleansing, a repentance that leads to restoration, a genuine a genuine repentance is a confession for cleansing. Verse one, he says, have mercy on me, O God. This is the cry of David's heart. Uh, one thing that you notice is that David does not feel entitled to God's forgiveness. He doesn't just think that it's automatic. He is begging God for forgiveness. And in doing so, he recognizes that admitting his guilt to God was not a death sentence, but the only way to life. 
And so he is begging God to do for him what he could not do for himself. He doesn't say, God, help me to try harder. God, help me to be a better person. He says, have mercy on me, oh God. And he bases this plea for mercy on two things, the steadfast love of God and the abundant mercy of God. He is basing his cry for help out of his personal relationship with God. And so what we see is we see what confession looks like. So in these verses, we're going to see David confess. And there's three things we're going to see. The first thing we're going to see in his confession is that he is honest. In verses one through three, David names what he has done. And he gives it three particular names. He says that this was my transgression, my iniquity, and my sin. Now, when you hear words like transgression and iniquity, those are kind of churchy words and we don't really know what that means. So let me kind of define them to you. A transgression is rebellion against God's authority. So God says the line is here and we go across the line. We transgress, we trespass, we go our way rather than following God's way. That's transgression. Iniquity is a distortion of God's truth. And so God says, this is what you shouldn't do. And we twist it and turn it to fit our own desires. And in doing so, that is iniquity. We are not doing what we should be doing. We are distorting God's truth. And then the word sin, in the Greek, the idea is to miss the mark. In the Hebrew mindset, it's falling short. And so David says, what I have done is I have fall." I have fallen short of your standard. You you say we are to live this way and I have fallen way short of that. And so what David does is he called what he did what it was. It was evil. It was wrong. He doesn't minimize it. He doesn't excuse it. He doesn't justify it. He doesn't say womp, womp. He just says, this is what it is. It's wrong. Now, here's what I found. Most of us, when we are confronted with our sin and when we feel guilty, we don't want to confess. So we do other things. And so we do about seven things, different things instead of confess. The first thing that a lot of us do when we feel guilty is is we shift the blame. We we blame shift. And so we, we say things like, well, the reason that I did this is someone else made me do it. Or the reason that we did this is because of something else going on in my life. You know, David here, as he's confessing to God, he he doesn't say, you know what, God, you don't realize how hard it is to be king. You know why? Because God would have said, knock it off. All right, he wouldn't have said that. (laughs) David, like, he could have said, well, God, you, you don't realize that the enormous pressure that I'm under, you don't understand the, 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 the expectations people have of me. And so I've got to do some things to make myself. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't shift the blame. Second thing, what we do when we feel guilty rather than confess is we minimize it. It really wasn't that bad. It was a mistake. It was an accident. Uh, and, and what we do is we'll even redefine it. We'll change the name to hide the reality. And so we'll, we'll call anger or we'll call uh, uh, things like, like letting off steam. I just got to let some steam off. Or, or, or we'll, we'll change the name of things. And so instead of calling it sex outside of God's prescribed uh, way, which is in marriage, uh, we'll call it cohabitation. Or we'll call it an alternative lifestyle. Or we'll call it reproductive health or or we'll call it living my truth. And it's just so that we can kind of make it nice and pretty so that we don't feel so bad about it. Another thing we do rather than confess 
when we feel guilty is we'll try to deaden it or medicate it. We feel really bad, we feel empty inside, so we'll start drinking or we'll start snorting or we'll start smoking or we'll start chewing on gummies to try to feel better. The fourth thing we'll do, rather than confessing our sins, is we'll criticize and gossip about other people. You know, it takes no size to criticize. People gossip, they run their mouth. And the reason why we run our mouths, the reason why we criticize people is because we wanna push them down to pull ourselves up because we wanna feel better about ourselves. And so what we do is we look at other people's sins and we push them down and we criticize them even though we are pretty stinking horrible ourselves. The fifth thing we'll do rather than confess is we'll, we'll just look to achievement. And so, you know, I'm gonna try harder, I'm gonna work harder, I'm gonna make more money, I'm gonna prove to everyone that I'm not a bum. I wanna make sure that when I look in the mirror, even though I've done this and even though I've done that, I gotta cover that up by achievement. Or some, number six, will become very generous. They make a lot of money and so they'll give money to charity or they'll give money to the church thinking that this will somehow pay for their mistakes, pay for their, their transgressions and so that they can be in the eyes of others and themselves a good person. The seventh is penitence, that is it's kind of a churchy word, but basically, instead of confessing to God, we'll beat ourselves up or we'll make ourselves miserable or we'll even hurt ourselves. Maybe we'll cut ourselves or burn ourselves because we feel like we're worthless. And, and what God is saying here is instead of, instead of running, just confess, just come to God. But, but then the other thing that I found is that when we do confess, it may not necessarily be like a genuine confession. There's a Christian counselor named Brad Hambrick, and he talks about what real apologies are and what real apologies are not, what real confession is and what real confession is not. And he says that real apologies avoid words like if, but, and maybe. So like if you're a husband and wife and, and you're, uh, you've offended one another and, and, and you know that like the magic word in your mind is if I can just say, I love you, I'm sorry, and you're beautiful, which are wise words, men. I mean, listen, you know, like those are the three, like get out of jail free cards. I mean, I'm sorry, I love you, you're beautiful. But what we use sometimes is we use language like this. Well, if I did something to hurt you. So if you come to God and say, well, God, you know, if I have sinned against you today, I'm sorry. That's not confession. Because if you use the word if, you're not really owning that you've done anything wrong. Or sometimes we'll use the word maybe. And, and we'll say, well, you know what? God, I wasn't thinking. Maybe, maybe I just was having a bad day. Well, again, it's uncertain whether or not you did anything wrong, if it's maybe. And we use the word but. And we say, well, you know what? I did that, but. And when you come to God and say, God, you know what? I did that, but. What we're saying is, is that what I did isn't that bad or what I did the other person deserved. You know, God, I, I got angry at that person, but they deserved it. God, I had road rage and I told them that they're number one, but they cut me off. <laughs> See, when you were, use words like if, but, and maybe, that's not a real confession. And, and look, I, I, this is real time with Pastor Allen. The truth is, is that in a fallen, broken world, there are real factors that have influenced you to do the things that you've done. Some of you have truly been wrong. Some of you have truly been hurt. Some of you have truly been abused. 
Some of you grew up in a home that warped you. Some of you have jobs or have financial situations that put extreme pressure on you. Some of you have health issues. Some of you have family members who have health issues and you may do things because of that. But listen, at the end of the day, your sins are your sins. They're not your mama's sins, your daddy's sins, your wife's sins, your husband's sins, your kid's sins. They're yours. As granny said, you make your bed hard, child, you lay in it. You made the choice and you have to own it. That's what David does. He's honest. Secondly, he's humble. He says in verse four, he says, you against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now you're reading that like, well, all right, what about Bathsheba? Didn't he like abuse her? And what about Uriah? Didn't he kill him? What about the nation? Didn't he lie, manipulate and cover it up? And here's the deal. He did do those things. Those were terrible things. Those were horrible things. Those were bad things done against individuals. But what David is acknowledging is that as bad as those things were towards other people, what he did was ultimately offensive to God. That it was worse. You understand that all sin is ultimately against God? That when you sin, you are sinning and offending God the most? And that's why you need God's forgiveness before you need anyone else's. You say, well, I don't agree with that. Well, you can be wrong because you don't understand how holy God is. You don't understand how evil your sins are in the eyes of God. That's why David says it passionately, you and you only. He's with intensity saying, God, you are the one that I have offended. And you are the one that I need forgiveness from the most. Because think about it this way. Everyone we sin against is really just a side effect of sin against God. The reason why David had an affair with Bathsheba is he didn't find satisfaction in God. The reason why David killed Uriah is because he didn't find security in God. The reason why David lied and misled a nation for an entire year is because he didn't trust God. Here is a man who has now come to the end of himself and he says in verse five, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. He says, God, I am so messed up. I've been cursed from my birth. I've been sinning from the beginning. I came out of the womb a terrorist. I'm bad to the bone. And David here isn't excusing. He's not blaming his mama for his problems. He's saying, God, I came out helpless and hopeless and I cannot fix myself. I am broken. That takes humility. What keeps so many people from becoming Christians, what keeps so many people from genuinely getting right with God is they have this I can do it mentality. They have this I got this syndrome. And that's what got David in the, pro the, in the problems to begin with. He said, I got this and he didn't have this. And some of you, you come from religious backgrounds that basically teach you that you've got to be a good person and you've got to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and you've got to do all of these different things so that you can earn God's forgiveness. And no, David says, I, don't, I can't earn anything. I'm broken. See, David here is admitting that he's been humbled by a war he cannot win. He has been grieved by desires he cannot overcome and he's been confronted by actions that he cannot escape and therefore his only hope of mercy, uh, his only hope in life and death was God's mercy. I mean, again, David's not blame shifting. David doesn't say, well, you know what? I did what I did because I had a horrible 
life because I had to run from Saul, this crazy guy who was trying to kill me for 13 years. Or, or I did what I did because of the pressures of being a king. Or I did No, what David recognizes is that his biggest problem was on the inside. I told you this last week. D David's biggest giant in his life wasn't Goliath, it was himself. So David is humble. He's not blaming anyone else. He says the problem is deep and it's deep inside of me. And so confession is honesty to God. Confession is humility before God. But then you see David is asking for help. It's, it's, it's coming to God and saying, God, do for me what I cannot do for myself. In verse seven, he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. In verse seven, he says, purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. The first wash is a Hebrew word that meant washing clothes. So you, you washy, 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 scrubby, 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 aggravate, you remove the filth. I've got dirty clothes, I've gotta be clean. I'm dirty, I need to be scrubbed. Cleanse me is a word, it's a religious word, which is, was used to kind of defy, describe washing dishes. So he needed, to be, he needed to be agitated in the washing board of God's grace, and he needed to be washed so that he could be used again. Basically, when he says cleanse me, it was a religious word talking about cleansing the utensils used in the service of the temple. And basically what David is saying is this, don't treat me like styrofoam plates. Don't just throw me away because I'm dirty. Wash me and use me again. And then he says, purge me with hyssop. Now, what, you, what in the world is that? Hyssop is like a small bush that was used uh, in the Old Testament uh, it was used at Passover, so when they put the blood on the doorpost and the death angel passed over, that's kind of like a paintbrush that was used for the door. Uh, it was also used by the priest when a, a leper, someone who had leprosy, a skin disease that would basically, was normally terminal or really horrible, that when that leper was cleansed of their leprosy, the priest would take uh, the blood of a lamb or an animal and he would take the, the, the bush and he would fling it on them, showing that they were clean. Or it was also used in the sacrifices where the people of God would come to worship God and the priest would come in and he would fling blood. Could you imagine you came to church and I just start flinging animal blood at you? It was a symbol that you were clean. And so David is saying, listen, I'm, like a, I'm, a, I'm a dirty leper. I have got death all over me. I stink. I smell. I need to be cleansed. I need to be forgiven. Why? Because sin makes you dirty. It makes you feel dirty. It makes you feel filthy. And, and when you get caught up into it, at the moment, it feels good. It's like I shared this this week with the kids. I said, listen, if you're sinning and it's not fun, you're not doing it right. But sinning is like eating a burrito from Taco Bell at 1 a.m. It sounds like a great idea at the moment, but at 2 a.m., you're regretting that decision. <laughs> Amen. Sin makes you feel dirty. It makes you feel filthy. That's why even people who struggle with addiction, when they get sober from the substance that they have been addicted to, they say it's getting clean. And what David is getting at is he's saying, listen, I am tired of trying to cover it up because it's not working. It's kind of like middle school boys at camp this week. They thought taking a shower was spraying Axe body wash, uh, body spray. I mean, one kid used dryer sheets for deodorant. Let me tell you something, that don't work. 
Okay, I don't care. Axe body spray works for like a minute at best. You stink. <laughs> it's like little kids, they make a mess on the carpet. Like they spill ice cream or Coke or something. What they do is they get a towel. This is, I don't know if any of your kids did this, but they get a towel and just put it over the mess. Thinking if I just put a towel there, nobody will see it. <laughs> or, or maybe they'll be like, you know what? When mom and dad walk by, they say, oh, it's this towel on the ground. They look up and say, uh-oh. Wonder who did that. Here's what David is saying. I stink and I'm stained. And you've got to do for me what I can't do for myself. Because I've used Axe body spray, it doesn't work. I'm trying to cover it up, it doesn't work. I need help. That's confession. It's honesty, it's humility, it's asking for help. Now, let's just be real. When most people come to church, it's what they think it is. They think, well, all repentance is is just confession. You know, that's why a lot of people, some of you come from a Catholic background, and, you're, and the mindset is, well, if I just go to a priest and just tell him all the bad stuff that I've done, he'll give me five, five Our Fathers, four Hail Marys, three push-ups, and I'm good. <laughs> and some of you come to church and think, well, that's it. If I just, just kind of tell everybody all that I've done bad... And, and, and like I get it off my chest and then everyone kind of congratulates me for being so brave that that's it, that's genuine repentance, but that's not genuine repentance. Confession is just one part of it. Stay with me, because I'm afraid a lot of churches just teach, well, if you just confess, you're good. It's more than that, because what you see in David is not just mere confession, you see the second thing, a desire to be different. A desire to be different. Now, well, listen, we're not saved by works, but how you know you are saved is that your faith works. That there's something different about you. So David here, he has gotten to the point, he's begging God for mercy, he's honest before God, he's humble before God, he's asking God for help. And then verse number 10, he says, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. More than just David, David is not just saying, God, I'm sorry. David says, I wanna be different. I don't want to be the same person I've always been. I want to be transformed by your grace. I, I've been living for myself and that's not working. I need a heart change. You know, it's interesting. He uses this word heart. The word heart is found 900, over 900 times in the Bible. Heart. In, in Hebrew mindset, but also in early Greek mindset, the heart was the control center of the person. It's the center of your emotions, your cognition, and your desires. And so you, somebody comes, well, I don't feel that in my heart. Or the heart wants what the heart wants. The heart is the steering wheel of your lives. So the heart controls, the heart shapes, the heart directs everything you choose, everything you say, everything you do. What controls your heart is what controls your behavior. And so David says that the fundamental thing that needs to change in my life is not my behavior. The fundamental thing that needs to change in my life is my heart because the heart is fundamental to repentance because sin is not just first and foremost a matter of behavior. It is first and foremost a matter of the heart. Jesus says that if you look at someone that you're not married to with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery with them. Jesus says it's out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
It's out of the abundance of the heart that you do stupid stuff. The heart guides your actions. The heart guides your words. So somebody comes to you and they say something really mean. They say, I didn't mean that. They're a liar. They did. It was in their heart. And David knew that the biggest need he had was not behavior modification. David needed heart surgery. He needed the junk and the filth that was clogging his heart to be removed so that his heart would beat for God again. David had allowed his heart to love and chase after, uh, after other pleasures rather than God. And he is saying, God, I need you to be first in my heart because you've not been first in my heart. He says in verse 11, he says, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. His predecessor, King Saul, lost his kingdom. Why? Because he refused to repent of his sins. And so God took away his anointing as king and therefore he took away his presence. And David's fear was not losing his kingdom. It was losing the presence of God. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. He says, bring me back to my first love. Bring me back to the joy that I had when I was first yours. You remember the day that you were saved? You remember the week that you were saved? You were so happy, right? You had so much joy. You were on fire for God. And then there was a slow fade and you kind of lost your joy. You've lost that loving feeling. David says, I've been crushed because that's what sin does. Sin will fascinate you, then it will assassinate you. It will thrill you and then it will kill you. Sin will do all kinds of stuff and ultimately what it ultimately does is it leaves you empty and broken. And why? Because joy comes from having a right relationship with God. And if you're a Christian and you're living in sin, you don't have joy. Because you can't rejoice in God when you're running from him. So what you see here is that David had a real desire to be a different person. Verse 13, he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. God, I'm gonna take my mess and turn it into a message of your grace. Some of you have sinned against God in so many ways that it still eats at your soul. Do you understand that your biggest hurt can be your biggest ministry? Some of you, you, you were addicted to drugs, you were addicted to alcohol, you were addicted to pornography. Some of you have had affairs, some of you have had an abortion, some of you have committed crimes and served time in jail. Do you understand that God can use that and transform that to turn that test into your testimony and to turn that mess into your message of his grace? David says, I'm just gonna tell everybody what you have done for me. I wanna be different. Verse 14 and 15 says, my tongue will sing loud of your righteousness. I open my lips and my mouth will declare your praises. Listen, I wanna be different. I wanna have the joy back. I wanna tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. And I'm gonna sing. Yeah, here's what I found. Religious people don't worship. Now they may sing, and they may show up, but they don't worship. Here's what I have found. Forgiven people do worship. You know, some people come to church and they just, they're there. Like some of you come this morning and you're there and all you do, you just stare at everybody. And you're like this. And the people on the stage, the people around you, they're singing their guts out and you're like this. Some of you guys, you worship like a mannequin. Stiff, unmoving, unhappy. I had a lady in my last church, her name is Lisa Johns, one of my favorite people in the entire world. 
Lisa Johns grew up in the streets of Philadelphia. Not West Philadelphia. She might have been West Philadelphia, born and raised. Okay? On the playground, she spent most of her days. Chilling out, Max, and relaxing all cool. I don't think she was shooting b-ball after school, though. <laughs> she got saved. She got good saved. You know what I'm talking about? She got good and saved. I got to baptize her. And she could sing. That girl could sing the phone book. Some of you middle schoolers are like, what's a phone book? <laughs> Ask your grandparents, okay? Ask your grandparents. She'd sing in church, dude. I mean, I'd tear up. I, I, know, the, I know her story. And, and, and she said this. She says, she says, Pastor, every time I sing to the Lord, I sing with all I got because he's forgiven me so much. You know, forgiven people shout. Forgiven people raise their hands. Forgiven people get a little loud. Some of you say, Pastor, I can't sing good. Well, then sing loud. <laughs> Forgiven people clap their hands. Forgiven people shout hallelujah. You know, one of the prayers of my heart is that we turn into a shouting church. I miss it. In my last church, I'd have people, amen, preacher. Come on. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I missed that. It's time to start that. Amen? Amen? Because here's what it does. It makes the sermon shorter. Say <laughs> so every amen is one second less. Amen. <laughs> but think about that. Jesus said this. He says, whoever is forgiven little loves little. Whoever is forgiven much loves much. Now, Jesus isn't saying that people are forgiven little. Nobody has so many little sins. Listen, if you got one sin, that's enough to send you to hell for eternity. He's not talking about how little your sin is. It's, he's talking about how much you realize you've been forgiven. He says, when you realize how much you've been forgiven, you're going to love much. But some of you, you don't want to change. You don't want to worship. You don't want to shout because the fake you is doing just fine. But he says in verse 17, the sacrifices of the broken and contrite you will not despise. Do you understand that God is not looking for happy, shiny people? He's not impressed by fake, pious people. I mean, he doesn't look at Gabriel and say, wow, man, they drove to church in a Maserati. They had a nice three-piece suit on. They had nice, slick hair. They stood like a dead corpse during worship. But man, they look good. God, he's not impressed by that. Now, if you got those things, praise God. If you dress that way, praise God. But worship. Because what God is looking for is real people who see their real need for him. He says, if you wanted a sacrifice, I would give it. But here's the thing. Whatever sacrifice we give is not going to be enough. Do you understand that? Like if you start giving a ton of money, if you start killing yourself, serving God, that's not going to be enough to forgive one of your sins. He says, but the sacrifice that God wants is a broken and contrite spirit because listen, God cannot save people that are full of themselves. 
Broken and contrite people are people who see that if Jesus doesn't save me, I'm going to hell. Broken and contrite people see that if Jesus doesn't intervene in my life, I've got no hope. Broken and contrite people say, what I have done is wrong, it is evil, and it is not good in your sight. And broken and contrite people walk the aisle, get on their knees, repent of their sins, and worship Jesus. But fake people don't. They just don't. So let me, let's, let's wind this thing down, all right? Some of y'all said, amen. <laughs> the mark of true repentance is a heart broken by sin and truly wanting to change. Do, do you want to be different? Or do you just want to feel good in the moment? Because if you confess your sins but still intend to live the same way you've always been living, you know what that's proof of? It's proof that you don't know the grace of Jesus. Because if you are not different after your confession, if you're not different after your repentance, it's proof you have not experienced the grace of God in your life because God's grace radically changes everything about everything in your life. It just does. Now, I've heard this illustration by a lot of different guys. I'm going to give you my spin on it. So let's just imagine after church, I see Kevin Taylor. And Kevin Taylor is really late for this service. Like he was supposed to be here at 10 and he's really late. And so after the service, I, I come to Kevin and say, Kevin, what's that? why were you late? You're supposed to be here at church. You're supposed to be here on time. He said, well, pastor, you know, he said, I got in that spirit of camp and I just, I just was so excited. And I said, I'm going to get up this morning. I'm going to go run. So he, he ran off by off Calc cause he lives by Collier, Collier Boulevard or whatever that road's called. And he was running, man. He, he was getting in the spirit and a Mack truck came by going 50 miles an hour and hit him. He says, pastor, I'm late because I got hit by a Mack truck. Now, if he said that to you and you were his boss, what do you think you'd say to him? You're a liar. Because if you got hit by a Mack truck, you would look different. <laughs> you wouldn't be all nice and shiny. You'd have broken legs and broken bones and blood and guts and snot everywhere. You might even, you wouldn't be standing here. You might be laying in a morgue. Because if you've been hit by a Mack truck, it'll change you. Well, what I'm saying to you is that if you've been forgiven by the Mack truck of God's grace, you're going to look a little different. You're going to talk a little different. You're going to act a little different. You're going to think a little different. You're going to be different because when you've been ran over by the grace of God, you can't be the same anymore. See, being, being different is the evidence that the event took place. So some of you, some of us, we need to be ran over by the grace truck of Jesus. So Psalm 51, we've, we've gone through it. And so what happened after Psalm 51? Well, it worked. 
And so if you go to 2 Samuel chapter 22, you're gonna see David after he confesses, after he shares his desire to be different, after he repents of his sins, he's going to write another song. This song is gonna be after God blesses him in another situation and he writes a song that ends up being 2 Samuel 22, but also Psalm 18. And so here is this guy who was once an adulterer, once a murderer, once a liar. He writes a song. Here's what he says in the song. He says, the Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. Uh-oh. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. Uh-oh. Now notice what he says now. He says, for I have kept the ways of the Lord. Say what? And have not wickedly departed from my God. This guy's delusional. For all his rules were before me and, for him, and from his statues, I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from guilt. This man needs help. And then he goes on to say, and the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. And you're like, well, what about the adultery? And what about the murder? And what about the lying? How can David say what he said? This guy's got problems. This guy's got issues. But he doesn't. Because the secret to this is found in that last verse. You can put it back on the screen. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness, to my cleanness. Say the last three words with me. In his sight. See, David was walking in freedom. He was walking in forgiveness. Because someone else was righteous. Someone else was clean. Someone else did not depart from God. Someone else kept the statue. Someone else was blameless. And his name is Jesus. And David was walking in the freedom and forgiveness that he had in Jesus Christ. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Paul says, for our sake, that's you and me, according to his steadfast love, God the Father made him, God the Son, to be our sin, to be sin, who knew no sin. So because of God's love, God made Jesus to be our sin to be treated as we should be treated, even though he had no sin, so that in him, because of him, because of Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, when God sees you and me, he doesn't see our sin, he sees Jesus's perfection.
And Jesus literally paid for your sins. Jesus took upon himself your sin, your sorrows, and he made them his very own so that you can walk in his freedom and his forgiveness. He has purchased all the forgiveness you need at the cross. So you can walk in freedom. Because this is, as it's been said, if you are in Jesus, there's nothing you can do that would make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do that would make God love you less than he loves you right now in Jesus Christ. Do you understand how awesome that is? That he doesn't see the anger or the bitterness or the greed or the lust or the pride or the envy. He just sees Jesus. But that's only available when you repent. Listen, everyone loves a good forgiveness sermon. But not everybody wants to repent. Because the moment you hear a sermon like this, you start thinking of other people. You're like, Man, I wish they were here. <laughs> or you start hearing... Man, I've got problems. I've got issues. There's, I'm feeling guilty. And so you think, well, I need to repent. And then the devil whisper, no, you don't. No, you don't. What are all these people going to think about you? Don't do that. Here's what I'm saying. You've got something greater than a lottery ticket. You've got a free and full offer of complete forgiveness from God Almighty. but it's only yours if you claim it. And if you don't claim it, you're a fool. And it's got a time limit. As long as you're alive, you can claim it, but when you're, de when you're dead, it's done. So here's what I wanna say as we end. If you ain't dead, he ain't done. Come to him today. So what I want us to do is this. In a moment, we're gonna have, a, we're gonna have an invitation, good old-fashioned Baptist invitation. And what I mean by that is this. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. We're going to worship. But if you have in your heart, there's some things in your life that need to change, then I'm going to open up this front. And I'll have pastors here that will talk with you. And, and counselors, men and women will be right up here in the front. And you can just talk to God where you are up here in the front, just you and God. You can talk to one of our folks here or you can just in an act of worship, sit in your seat or get on your knees, however you wanna do that and just talk to the Lord. If you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, what a great day to do it. If you're here today and you wanna be different, you don't wanna be here, this, you don't wanna leave here the same way you came here. Today's the day, this moment's this moment. So I'm gonna pray. We're gonna stand and you're gonna come. Father in heaven, I ask that your Holy Spirit would do what I could not do, and that is change hearts. And God, I ask that you would move today, that we would be a church who can say, blessed is the person whose sin is forgiven. Holy Spirit, move today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's stand.
and you can come right now. Pastors will be down here in the front. They're going to be facing you. If you want to pray, come, come, come on, come on. Don't delay. Come on. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church, go out and be the church, have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.